I want to talk to you today about our fellowship in Christ. It just so happens that we're going to look at the scripture uh, that the founding pastor of Christ Fellowship um, took the name of our church from. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. But let's read together uh, the first four verses of 1 John. 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but the little letter toward the back of your Bible, right after the second letter of Peter. 1 John only has five chapters. It's a short little book, but it's very, very powerful. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Christ, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Well, Father, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds today, that you would, Lord, cause the good seed of your word, cause your gospel, Father, to take root and to bring a multiplied harvest of righteousness for your glory. Let your church, Father, let each one of us bring glory and honor to your name. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. John, in the verse 4 here, the fourth verse, he says, These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Later on in this same letter, he writes these words. He says, these things we write to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Our fellowship in Christ. Christ fellowship in the name of this church. Taken from the third verse of this little book of 1 John. The first chapter. The word fellowship means a lot of things. Uh, we call our mission meal a fellowship. We get together, we break bread, we eat, we drink, we converse. Uh, we have um, a gathering at our home. We call it a fellowship. We have gatherings. And so the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, and it does mean to gather, the fellowship. But it has such a richer and deeper meaning than just a social gathering. And very often when we talk about fellowship, we think of fellowship in terms of social gatherings. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we shortchange ourselves if we do not understand that the biblical word for fellowship means something so much greater than just a social gathering. Here in these four verses I just read to you, John is very purposeful in the language that he uses. And I want to go through 
these four verses, and I want to look at the purposeful language that John uses. This isn't the first letter John has written. This is the same John who penned the Gospel of John. And so the Gospel of John in your Bible is the fourth of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was one of the sons of thunder. James and John were brothers. He was a fisherman. He wrote the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, he uses very familiar language from what he uses here. So when God invites us into fellowship, when God talks about bringing us into fellowship with Him, with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, He is talking about something that's much greater than a social gathering. John begins this little letter with these words, that which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That which was from the beginning concerning the word of life. What is the word of life? What is that? That which was from the beginning. What is that word of life? Well, that word of life is Jesus. So if you think back to John's gospel, he begins John that gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. He is the Logos. He is the living Word. He is the Word of life. That which was from the beginning. So Jesus has many names. Jesus Christ, Christ is not the last name of Jesus, Christ is a title. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Messiah. That's who the Messiah is, He is the Anointed One, He is the Christ of God. Well here, He's called the Word of Life. In John's Gospel, He begins by calling Him the Word the Logos, not just a, a word like ink on paper word, but a living word. And John says, this word of life that was from the beginning, this word that we have heard, how did John hear? Well, obviously, when he walked with Jesus, but did John hear about Jesus before Jesus talked to John? Yes, he did. This 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. How did he hear? He heard it through the law and through the prophets, through the scriptures, holy men of God, inspired by God, who spoke inspired words, who wrote inspired words. The law and the prophets recorded for us thousands of years, centuries before the birth of Jesus, the declaration, the proclamation that there would come one who would crush the head of the serpent. Thousands of years before Jesus was born, before his incarnation, there was the proclamation of the coming seed who had crushed the head of the serpent. Moses wrote of it. Adam heard it from the mouth of God. Moses recorded it. The prophets recorded inspired words that spoke of that word of life that would come. John heard He heard all of his life the words of the law and the words of the prophets so that when Jesus came, that word of life was not unfamiliar to him. Though Jesus had to with John just like he has to with us, he has to open our hearts, he has to open our minds, he has to open our eyes, he has to open our ears so we can see and hear and know and receive the word of life. But by the law and the prophets, the ground was prepared so that when the seed was sown, there could spring forth a harvest of life. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, you have heard of the same word of life. You're hearing of it right now. You hear of it every time you read the Bible, every time you hear the Bible, every time you hear someone say something, every time we sing about it today. The last song we sang is really just the truths of the Bible put to verse, put to to song. How can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Why would he die for me? All my sins forgiven. That's good news. This is the word, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. John said, I didn't just hear about him, but I saw him with my eyes. And it may sound redundant, it may sound kind of silly, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. He's saying two different things there. It's one thing to see someone from afar at a distance, it's another thing to look upon, to gaze upon, to fix your eyes upon, to contemplate. John didn't just see Jesus from afar, but he looked upon him. He sat with him. He sat before him. He sat at his feet and he learned of him. He became his disciple 
He followed him. He gazed upon him, looked upon him, meditated upon him with his physical eyes and with the eyes of faith and with the eyes of his mind and the eyes of his understanding. He looked upon the word of life. It is what we are to do today. We are to hear, we are to see, we are to look upon the word of life. And our hands have handled. He said, we heard, we saw, we handled him. Before his crucifixion and after his resurrection. Concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life. The life was manifested. In John's gospel. John goes on in the fourth verse of his gospel. Let me turn over there and read to you what he writes. Let me just read from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. This is Jesus. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John says, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, have seen, have looked upon, have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested. John 1.14 goes on, and John writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of as of the only begotten of the Father. The life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you and show you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Jesus is called the word of life. He is referred to as eternal life. At the end of this little letter, 1 John, next to the last verse, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, John closes his letter with these words, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in him who is true. Don't let this pass you by, church. Listen. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is eternal life. This word of life, this living word, this logos, this Jesus Christ is eternal life. It is eternal life 
which was with the Father and was manifested to us that we, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that which we have seen and heard, that Christ, that word of life, that eternal life, that we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That is the life that I declare to you today. That, that word that tells us why. John is telling them why he is declaring this to them. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that for this reason that you also may have fellowship with us. Now that's what he said, what he didn't say, but what we can imply from that, from those words, is that, that John is assuming that there are some that do not have fellowship with us, but need to have fellowship. John is writing this letter to the church, but he's writing it, and he's writing it saying, there are those who do not yet have fellowship with us. I'm writing this, I'm declaring this, that you, that you might have, that you also may have fellowship with us. What is that fellowship? He's not talking about a social gathering. And he says, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the fellowship he's talking about. The communion, the community, the relationship. The union that we have with the Father and with Jesus Christ. He said, I am declaring this word of life. I am declaring Christ to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Because the only way to come into that fellowship is through Jesus Christ. Now to really understand where John is coming from on this, we really need to go to another writing of his. We need to go back to his gospel. Let's go to the gospel of John. And I want to read to you The prayer Jesus prayed with his disciples before they left the upper room to go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would ultimately be arrested and then taken to be crucified. John 17, the Gospel of John chapter 17, records for us what, what is sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. But Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper, at that Passover meal. And they are ending that meal. He's already washed the feet of his disciples. Judas has already left the premises to go and sell Jesus off for 30 pieces of silver. 
And while Judas is going to betray Jesus, Jesus is with his remaining disciples, his disciples, his true disciples, and he prays this prayer. And I think it's 26 verses, but I believe it's worth us reading this. And I would really encourage you to pay close attention to the words Jesus prays literally hours before his crucifixion and subsequent death. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given at me out of this world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Excuse me. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, I'm sorry, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. And when Jesus spoke these words, they departed and went over the brook Kidron to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was ultimately arrested and taken. This is the prayer Jesus prayed. He prayed for his immediate disciples, the 11 that were with him in that room as he was praying that prayer. Now, if you listen to that prayer and you listen to the language, then you read First John and you see that John obviously was paying attention to the prayer of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit had illuminated that truth in John's heart and inspired him to write those words of introduction in that letter, calling Jesus the word of life, calling Jesus eternal life. Because we see Jesus referring to these very things in his prayer, praying for his disciples and also praying for us. Now he said, I pray for these. I don't pray for the world, but I pray for these. But I don't just pray for these. He said, I pray for those who will believe in me through their words. That's us, church. Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for me. That prayer I just read, Jesus prayed on our behalf. And what was his prayer? His prayer was that we would be one with him and the Father. It's a beautiful picture that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You loved me, He says that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When Jesus prayed that we be one, God answered his prayer. Now that doesn't mean that it always looks that way on the outside. 
It doesn't mean we all believe exactly the same thing in exactly the same way. It doesn't mean that there's never conflict because those things are all real. But I'm going to tell you what. Some people say this is the only prayer of Jesus that remains unanswered. I say, no, that's not true. This prayer has absolutely been answered because you have, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been brought into fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You are one with Him right now if you are in Christ. You're not going to be one with Him one day when you get to heaven. You are one with Him right now because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is praying this prayer before he goes to the cross, knowing, now if you paid attention, Jesus says, I have finished the work that you've sent me to do. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. So what was Jesus saying? It was a done deal. It, it, it's complete. There was no question what was going to happen. When that baby was born in Bethlehem and laid in that manger, there was never a question about what was going to happen. Why? Well, if we go back to 1 John, that which was from the beginning. What beginning is John talking about? He's, he's not talking about the beginning of time. He's talking about in eternity where there is no beginning. It's the only way we can think of it. It's the only way John can put it into verbalization that we can understand it. That which was, that which has no beginning, and that which has no end, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that which was in the beginning, that word of life, that eternal life, who is Jesus Christ. He says, Father, I have finished the work. I have done all that you've called me to do. And he's praying this prayer as he's getting ready to go to the cross and give up his body to atone for our sins and be received by the Father as that acceptable sacrifice so that you and I do not have to pay for our own sins. Jesus prayed a specific prayer here for specific people that he would redeem by his specific blood. And his specific sacrifice on the cross. And that work on the cross is what has brought you into fellowship. It is the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ that has made you one. Even with all of our differences, even with all of our diversity, we are one. We have been brought into fellowship with Christ. It's not just a social gathering. This is eternal life. Whether you can conceive of it right now, you are one with the Father in Jesus Christ. This is why John goes on and he writes in that Beginning, he says, I write these things that your joy may be full. If I don't know that my sins are forgiven, why am I going to have full joy? If I think I'm going to still have to pay for my sins, why would I have full joy? I would not. But if I understand what Jesus has done for me, not so I can just go live my life any way I want to. That's not the point. 
Paul addresses this. This is addressed throughout the scripture. God saved you. He gave you eternal life in Jesus Christ so that your life could change because there was no way that your life could change any other way. Whether you realized it or not, you were bound to sin before you were saved by Jesus Christ. Before you were born again, you were born in sin, born in bondage to sin, and there was no hope of your life changing. Oh, your bank account might change, your social status might change, the kind of car you drive might change, the kind of house you live in might change, and the kind of clothes you wear might change. And the title you have before or behind your name may change. But that's not the kind of change that we're talking about. We're talking about a change in your soul and in your spirit. We're not talking about physical, temporal things, material things. We're talking about eternal things. There was no way for your life to change eternally outside of Jesus Christ. You had no hope of a changed life apart from Jesus Christ. You and I were hopelessly trapped in our sin until Jesus saved us. And when he saved us, he gave us the power of a changed life, the reality of a changed life. Now your life does not have to remain as it was. In fact, if you have been born again, your life should not remain as it was. It must change. How that changes, what that looks like, the time frames, it's all different for everybody. But make no mistake about this. If you have been born again, you are born again that your life would show that change. It's just like the little story we read to the kids. It's like the little song, a little children's song, but there's so much truth in that song. If Jesus is in residence in the castle of your heart, your life will show it. It may show it in ways that, that others can see more clearly than you can. That's very often the case. But if Jesus has taken up residence in your heart, there is a change that must take place. And when God brings us into fellowship, when he brings us into that union with himself and with the Son, there is a change that has taken place. Your mind has to catch up to that. Your mind is running behind because your mind is still living in an old creation, in an old earth, in an old reality, and you're wrestling between the, the new reality and the new creation. And this is the importance of reading the Scripture and meditating on the Scripture this is the importance of paying attention to the words that the Bible purposefully uses in describing Jesus and in, in describing our salvation. For instance, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. What, what does that mean? You live in the world, but the world is not your source of life. God is your life. Christ is eternal life. He is the word of life. You're in this world. Jesus prayed very explicitly. I'm not asking, Father, that you take them out of the world, 
I know we all want to escape, right? We create theologies of, uh, of, of escape. We think we're going to all escape. Big event's going to happen. We're going to all escape. But yet, Jesus said, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to keep them from the evil one. So there's going to be a lot of Christians in for a big surprise because they're not going to get the escape that they think they are. But the good news is they're not going to fall prey to the evil one because the Father always answers the prayers of the Son. But here's what we have escaped. We have escaped death. We have escaped sin. We're in this world, but we're not in this world alone. We go through the trials, fiery trials. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we don't walk through the darkness and we don't walk through the fire alone. Christ is with us because we have been brought into fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And this is exactly what John is writing here in his little epistle. And he's encouraging those who are reading this letter. I am declaring Christ to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Jesus said, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for mine. John says, I'm declaring Christ to you so that you, by grace, through faith, will become his and the benefactor of all that Christ prayed for those who are his. Christ lives in us by the Spirit of God. We live in Him. He lives in us. This is the picture we see in 1 John. It's the picture we see in John 15. It's the picture that Jesus painted in His prayer in John 17. We lose sight of that reality because we live such separated lives. We live such temporal, carnal material lives and we lose sight of this spiritual truth and reality and we think because it's spiritual it's some mystical thing that's not real there's an old saying you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good i don't actually believe that's a very wrong saying because if we were truly heavenly minded the way jesus was we would actually be of much benefit to the earth. The problem is, it's not that we're too heavenly minded, we're too earthly minded. And we don't believe the heavenly. We're so carnal, we don't believe the spiritual. Here is Jesus telling us, praying for us, this to happen. John is writing, I'm declaring this truth to you so that you can also be in fellowship with us. Yeah, but I can't see it, John. It just sounds so theoretical to me. It sounds so philosophical to me. I, I, can't, I can't really wrap my mind around it. Stop trying to wrap your mind around it and ask God to give you a heart to receive it because it's not about wrapping your mind around it. It's about receiving it in your heart. It's about a new heart. 
It's about a new creation. It's about a new reality. All I see is the old reality. It's what I read about every day. It's what I watch every day. Well, stop reading about that and stop watching that. And start reading about this and look upon Jesus. Gaze upon him. Fix your eyes upon him. And as you fix your eyes upon him, trust that you are being transformed into the very same image. Ask him to reveal to you the reality of your fellowship, that you are one with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you've done, not because of what you can feel or not because of what you can see, not because of what you can understand, but because of what he has done in his grace by giving you a heart of faith. It only takes faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, Jesus said. To move a mountain. Listen, Mount Everest is nothing compared to the mountain of your sin and death that you were under before God saved you. And he gave you faith to move that mountain of sin and death and cast it into the sea so that you could have the hope and the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And you have that because you have been brought into fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And that fellowship is not something you will enter into one day when you get to heaven and you don't have this earth body anymore. It's what you have right now. How do you see it? You see it by eyes of faith. How do you hear it? You hear it through ears of faith. How do you touch it? How do you handle it? It's all around you. It is the world you live in. It's not separate. It is, it is with you. It's constant. It's, it's where you live and walk and move. In Him we live and move and have our being. In who? In Christ. That's why we don't have to come into this building and invite God to come in. As if God's waiting outside for us to come into this building. And He's not coming in until we invite Him in. No, He is here because you are here. And he lives in you. And that fellowship is real because you have been made one with him. It's what he has done. Now we're going to get ready and come to the table. I always remember this when I was in middle school. And that was a long time ago. We have to go outside, and the lunch line formed on an outside sidewalk. And you go in the cafeteria, and you go around, you know, and get your food on your tray. And I remember as you walked in that door to go into the cafeteria, there was a big sign there that said, "You are what you eat." And I always stuck. I still can picture that sign in my mind: "You are what you eat." Well. We're coming to this table today. The bread and the cup, the body and the blood. There is a reason why we do this week in and week out. Jesus in John 6 said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. It was offensive to the Jews. In fact, it says many that day departed from Jesus and never followed him again. 
because they did not understand what Jesus was saying. When we eat this bread, when we drink this cup, we are proclaiming that we are one with Him. We are affirming that we have been brought into fellowship with Him. And that fellowship is eternal. It's inseparable because of what Christ has done. So Christian, come to the table. Well, let's stand. Our fellowship is not with the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. When we're born again, born of the Spirit, we are no longer of this world. We are of Christ. And in Christ, we come to eternal life and eternal fellowship with the Father and the Son because Christ lives in us and we live in Him by the Spirit of God. Jesus prayed that our fellowship be with Him and with the Father. And John is declaring that our fellowship can only be gained through faith, through trust in Jesus. Our fellowship in Christ is more than social interaction. It's spiritual. It's born of and made possible only by the Spirit. For only by the Spirit do we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And that is a fellowship that the world will never be able to provide for us because it is not of this world. That doesn't mean it's not far away or that it is far away or that it is in some future time. The reality is, and this is what the Bible consistently teaches, what God has given to us is here it is now. It is in Christ. It is present with us now, just as Christ is. He is present with us now and for all eternity. The promises of God are yes and amen now and for all eternity. Christ will return one day, no doubt about that. But what God has promised us in Christ is not what we will receive when He returns. It's what we have right now. So know this, church. Your fellowship with the Father and with the Son is now. It's real. And there is nothing, no power of sin can break that. No scheme of man can pluck you out of His hand. As the song says, Jesus commands your destiny, and he has a good destiny for you. It is glory. Amen.